Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zenki Deloroshi, the guiding teacher here at the Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Bryant at BZC. This is the final talk in this season of the Zen Mind podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in this summer and supporting us. There's going to be a two-month break for the fall practice course, which Zenki Roshi is leading. If you stay on after today's talk, there's a message from Zenki about it. There are still spots available. It's being offered both online and in person at the Boulder Zen Center. And I recommend it to anyone who finds value in these talks or resonates with Zenki Roshi's teaching style. The subject of the course is liberation from suffering, so we'll be studying together some of the very basic teachings of Buddhism, and the topics are all drawn from Zenki Roshi's book, which will be published next spring. The course begins this weekend with a three-day seminar. You can also attend the seminar on its own. And if you want to join the course but you can't attend the seminar or you'll need to miss some of the sessions, that's totally fine, actually. All of the talks and discussions will be recorded and made available in the web portal, and you can always catch up as needed. There's no attendance requirement or expectation. Basically, you're free to decide how and when you want to participate, whether you join the live sessions or catch the recording later. Uh, We recognize that everyone's life situation and schedule is different, so we just want to keep things flexible. And I'll put a link in the show description where you can find out more information on the practice course and the seminar, or you can head straight to our website, boulderzen.org. And once again, thank you so much for listening and supporting Zen Mind and Zenki Roshi and the Boulder Zen Center. I want to especially thank everyone who has left ratings and reviews. Over the past few months, I've, I've been asking for them, and the Zen Mind podcast has gone up quite a ways in its ranking on Apple Podcasts, which makes it easier for new folks to find us. So thank you, and since we're wrapping up this podcast season now, it's the perfect time to leave a rating if you haven't done so. It just takes a few seconds, no need to write anything if you don't want to, and it might not seem like much, but it's really making a difference. People are finding the Boulder Zen Center through the podcast, and we want to continue to make Zanki Roshi's talks more widely available. Okay, so this week we have the final talk in what's turned into a five-talk series titled Studying the Way. Uh, Reminder to hang around after the talk for a short message about the upcoming practice course. And here's Zanki Roshi. Someone recently asked me, well, let me say um, over the course of the last weeks and months, I've been uh, talking about studying the way. I just picked this phrase. And I didn't know where that would lead me. Uh, Initially, it uh, felt like I wanted to speak about just the question of how to study. And then, you know, it maybe inevitably led me to this very um, well-known Dogen quote, which I'm, I want to repeat right now, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the 10,000 things. 
To be actualized by the 10,000 things means your body and mind and the body and mind of the external world fall away. To be actualized by the 10,000 things means your body and mind and the body and mind of the external world fall away. No trace of enlightenment remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. So someone recently asked me, I'm paraphrasing, you know, that's how I got it, the gist of the question. When we say to study the Buddha way is to study the self, what is this self? Is it the small self? We're studying this body and mind, this thought process, this emotional process, this process of having preferences and acting accordingly. Or are we studying the self that covers everything? <coughs> you know, capital S, self. Whatever that is. Okay, uh, the self that covers everything is a phrase that Suzuki Roshi used. Now, Dogen speaks about this in um, by saying the entire world in the ten directions is the true human body. The entire world in the ten directions is the true human body. So, I'm thinking, when you understand studying the self as studying this small self, this body and mind, your thinking process, your emotional process, etc., you are not recognizing that the entire world in the ten directions is involved in this small process. The entire world in the ten directions is involved in this, pro in this small self, but when you think you are studying this small self, you're not recognizing that. It's absent from your view. I think it's quite normal that the entire world in the ten directions is involved in our ordinary self-thing process is uh, absent from most people's view. Well, when you think that you are um, studying the self that covers everything, the entire world in the ten directions, you might be uh, oblivious to the fact that this entire world in the ten directions must express itself through this small self. It has to.
So, you know, we could have a feeling like, I want to overcome this small self and study the world in the ten directions, which, you know, is actually something we must do to study the entire world in the ten directions. But then this, our idea of wanting to overcome the self might be limited in the sense that this is the expression of the entire world in the ten directions. In this fascicle that is in the background of what I'm talking about, uh, body-mind study of the way, Dogen's fascicle, body-mind study of the way, he says, study the ten directions in one particle of dust. But do not think or do not confine the ten directions to one particle of dust. How do you, you know, how do you do that, practically speaking? It's like noticing something that is um, happening in our experience. That's what we have. That's our starting point always, our own experience. That to notice something that is present in your own experience, to bring your presence to that. Something you see, you know, this person in front of you, or this sound that is happening, this thought that is occurring, and maintain a feeling, if you can, develop the feeling, and then maintain the feeling that everything in the Ten Directions, is involved in and is collaborating to make this experience possible. Just, it's like, just develop that feeling. Not some big task, just, you know, see if you can bring that feeling into your experience. We're working with translations when we read Dogen, right? This has come up recently. People asked me, you know, what translations to use and so forth. So I'm just saying we are using translations and the translations differ because the transla translations that we have, if you don't speak that kind of Japanese from the 13th century, um, are, that's most of us, differ. They already interpret. <clears throat> they differ quite a bit. So remarkable. So anyway, one of the translations says, hmm, works with the word consider. Consider the entire world in the ten directions the true human body. To consider means to understand and resolve that this body and mind, even though it is restricted by self and other, 
is the entire world in the ten directions. So this idea, to consider this idea is to understand and resolve, is to take the view, so I'm, I'm interpreting it that way, to take the view, which I've just suggested, take the view and resolve, form an intention that this um, that this body, even though it is restricted by self and other, is the entire world in the ten directions. So it's like it's not that there is a truth out there that is already the case. We consider it this way. We are bringing a view and we intend strongly with resolve to look at it this way. And when we do, even though this body is restricted by self and other, I'll say something about that, it is the entire world in the ten directions. And it's like, when you view it that way, and when you intend it moment after moment to experience the world this way, what kind of difference does it make? Because it's not like to discover some abstract truth. It's about noticing what kind of difference it makes. For example, does it lead to the lessening of suffering? <clears throat> Does it engender wisdom, which I'm just going to parse for the sake of this talk, just for this moment, as does it bring a flexible mind, an ability to act flexibly and appropriately in accord with circumstances? Does it increase compassion? to consider this body to be the entire world in the ten directions, or to consider the entire world in the ten directions coming together to form this body? Does this bring a compassionate attitude? If it does, if it makes these differences, liberation from suffering, a flexible mind that can act in accord with circumstance, and if it brings a... Uh, a deeper resonance with other beings, it's like, then it is considered the truth. So you, you view and resolve to live into this truth when you decide to practice Buddhism. I want to try to <laughs> share an experience with you from my Qigong practice, which I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to try. <laughs> there's, a, there's a practice in the system that I do that is called thinking energy. And this is the first confusing thing about it, the name of the, of the um, exercise. But it's teaching me something. It's translated from Chinese. And 
thinking there isn't the kind of thinking that we have in mind. It's thinking here means something like directed attention. <clears throat> anyway, this is a practice that uses the power of directed attention. <clears throat> and the way it goes is um, it's in four parts and it um, starts with the right hand and then you take the left hand and then you take the right foot and then you take the left foot. So it has these four parts. And so I'm just going to demonstrate the hand because my feet are hidden. <laughs> Covered. Anyway, um, you hold your hand by your knee for some reason. And um, part of the system is that you've already developed mixing upward, let me call it that way, upward and downward energy in your torso. <clears throat> and you've gotten access to this mixing of upward and downward energy in your torso by developing the hara, or in Chinese, the dantin. But now, you put your hand out this way, and there's some tension in it, and... Um, you're looking at it with intent. And then you breathe into your hara and you see what happens. And the idea is, when you do that, you'll feel how chi is, you know, energy, something, a movement, a flow of sensations is how I would say more neutrally than making some assumptions about a mysterious substance like qi. Not substance, but anyway, phenomenon. You look with intent, and then when you breathe in, expanding your hara, it feels like energy is traveling to this arm, this limb. And it feels like you're filling this limb with this, this is the idea, refined energy that you've already generated in your torso. Okay? And then you do it on the left side. And then you do it with your right leg. And then you do it with your left leg. And so the four limbs get to participate in this energizing of the body. So recently I've been experimenting with, with the help of my teacher, I've been experimenting. And one view, you know, that I've discovered that is sort of built into the exercise, but it's something that is 
I'm already receptive to is that there needs to be a pathway like from here to there. This energy needs to come from here and travel to there. And, you know, maybe this sounds a little weird and strange because you're not doing this practice, but when you, when I release this, when I release this idea of a pathway, it can come directly from the 10 directions. It's like the hand can just be energized. You're looking at it with intent, right? It can just be energized directly from the 10 directions. It doesn't have to come from here. It's already there. Do you get my point? It's like when you bring this to what we're discussing, um, this body, you know, it's not like you have to go through some series of practices and steps and, you know, that prepare you for making this body open to the 10 directions. We could have, you can have some idea like this. Like, I'm not ready to practice this or this isn't, this isn't something that's accessible for me, but it's like there's a limitation in my thinking that makes me think that it has to go a certain way. As if, like, in my analogy here, energy has to travel from the hara to the hand, thus filling the limb. But it's like, it can just come from nowhere, which means from everywhere, and then fill the limb. How do the 10,000 things, how do the 10 directions participate directly in this experience that I'm having right now. This isn't something, I know, it's not something you can pin down and like work out. But it is a feeling. Not in, not some, you know, emotion, uh, you know, that falls into a particular kind of category, but a subtle feeling. Now, how do you study the way? I think this setup of Zen practice, the way we are doing it here, you know, is quite, quite difficult. 
a little, um, or not just a little, maybe very confusing over the years. Because there are these um, weird instructions you get. You know, on the one hand, you're told to do certain things, like maybe count your breath, or you know, do a walking meditation a certain way, or breathe into your hara, and uh, things like that. And then, and then there are these other instructions that take everything away and say. Well, really just sit and don't do anything. Or don't study a thing. It's all like it's not in the words and concepts. So then, so, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like, so what should I do? You know, should I read something? But then I feel bad that I'm reading something because probably I'm, well, I want to help my practice, but probably I'm harming it. Or then when I sit, should I do nothing or should I bring attention to my breath? Or, well, I bring attention to my breath, but that's kind of hard. Maybe I'll, I'll just do nothing. But then I'm just thinking. And when I'm just thinking, then I don't think that can be right. You know? And when I sit, you know, emotions come up, but should I have emotions? Maybe emotions are not Zen. <laughs> you know, like someone, again, I'm paraphrasing, recently asked me, like, is it okay to talk to you about my emotions? Like, it's amazing, amazing question, because it's like, this whole Zen thing has been set up to disqualify emotions, like as if they don't belong to your human existence. Or if you still have them, then uh, you are just like, you're not even, ah, you're not even a beginner yet. <laughs> but it all doesn't make sense because if we sit and we allow our experiencing to be exactly what it is at its time. And if our experiencing is emotional at this time, so how do you, why should you exclude it? Makes no sense. But then how do you, how should you relate to your emotions? Well, maybe I just don't bring my emotions to Zen practice. I'll just have psychotherapy on the side and just compartmentalize it or something. This all doesn't, you know, this is, these are actual questions that we have and they come up. How do they come up? Just from sitting and being intimate with your human existence. That's one. And then from listening to people who talk about that. Let's say, let's say you do have a committed zazen practice. 
Maybe you don't, but let's, let's say you do. You sit in the morning, you know, whatever, 40 minutes, 30 minutes. You sit in the evening. Maybe you don't sit in the evening, but maybe you do. Let's just pick, let's just picture something. And this sitting in the morning and in the evening is now folded into your aliveness, into your process of living. And you keep, and you keep folding it into it out of some faith. Out of some faith, despite these questions that arise and make you doubt what you're doing. I think because we come to practice usually because there is some suffering, discontent, stressful experiences, friction in our lives. Because we come to practice this way, we hope that something will, some progress will be made. And the progress is so slow. <laughs> it's so slow. It's like it's imperceptible. So you may doubt that it makes any sense to continue with this practice. Suzuki Roshi talks about this in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. You can look it up yourself. And I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, he says something like, Practice is not like taking a shower. It's like walking in the fog. And you get wet little by little. And then, after this slow, little by little process, you find yourself to be completely wet. And he says, this is the Soto way. Well, you can read the metaphor, right? Like it's... The Soto way is not looking for the shower, the Kensho experience, the, the enlightenment that turns everything around. Actually, that's downplayed. I'm not even making a judgment here what's good or bad about that. It's just like a description. It's not only are you expecting that progress is little by little, imperceptibly maybe so, it gets worse. No, it gets better. Um, it's like you give up all ideas about progress. You, 
you give up all ideas about progress, and so what do you do instead? You um, give your you your wholehearted effort to this very moment now. Who cares what happens in the future? Be here, be here with your practice. Very powerful, I think. And difficult, right? Difficult because I want to fix something about myself in some thoroughgoing way. Maybe you've noticed this. I've, I've noticed it quite a bit in my life. So walking this slow little by little path, which I've done for 25 years now, And I don't do this a lot, but, you know, like I can. Because I am trying to actually not evaluate my practice, I try to... It's not even trying, it's a feeling that it's not helpful to evaluate my practice. So I don't do it very much. Um, But if I do look back, it's like there are certain problems I just don't have anymore. They are gone. It's funny. It's like, well, it's also not true that they're gone. They are not gone, but they don't, they don't present themselves as problems anymore. For example, you know, you have practiced or you have heard about Oryoki practice or you hear about it now. It's this practice that we do where you have three bowls and you're trapped behind them. And there's a, there's a fairly elaborate ritual of serving the food and you receive it. And it's really beautiful practice and also very annoying. Well, I, I, as I'm saying this, it's very annoying. It's like, I hated Oriyuki practice. It was just like, I loved it, and I hated it when I was doing it, doing Sashin. Like, it was the most painful stuff, because I was doing okay when I was sitting, you know, and, and my intention was, like, really not moving. It's a little, you know, little... I don't know. I was just a little intense. Like, <clears throat> sit cross-legged, don't move, do the program, you know, you can do it. And so sometimes I was just in this excruciating pain. And it was terrible during Oriyuki. <clears throat> really, really terrible. And I just wanted to... I was so 
enraged by how slow people were, slowly people were eating, you know, or taking seconds. It's like, oh God, now, like, he's taking seconds on all three bowls. <clears throat> but that's not, that was not, that was very selfish, like, you know, just my pain. But it was also, I can see now, in hindsight, that I had certain ideas about how this whole ritual I was serving and receiving the food, which has, you know, prescriptions and certain ways to do it. Like, I got into it, and there was a right way to do it. And when someone didn't do it right, it's like, I got, yeah, judgy, you know. It's like, You know, like to summarize, it is not even thoughts. Yeah, there are thoughts, but it's just this feeling. It's like, God, just you know, do it right. <clears throat> I don't do that anymore. I just don't. I don't know. I'm not saying this with pride. I say it with relief. It's like. I don't do it. I barely look at what people are doing. It's like, I don't care. Like, just do whatever you want. I'm doing my Oriyoki practice. If you're going to do it in your way or, you know, you have the issues that I had 20 years ago, I understand. It's fine. I mean, here's the thing. Again, just I'm talking about myself because I want to make it real. I'm not trying to say that I've accomplished something uh, magnificent. I think it's quite it's it's nothing great, but actually, it's like it's a huge difference. It's just a huge difference to feel activated by your pain or to feel activated by what other people are doing or to not feel activated by that stuff. It's just huge. I'm glad that I feel less activated by these things. A lot less. Now, the thing is, if I say this and I latch onto it and I say, oh, look, there's this accomplishment through Zen practice. I don't get activated. Well, sure, I'm going to get activated by something else, right? So actually the journey, your path of practice isn't over. It's like the obscuration of my annoyance and judginess that was more pronounced 20 years ago than it is now, which I'm recognizing it's a lot less. Is now, now that that curtain has been parted, there's just more stuff that is subtler. So I get to, I have to, I get to work with that. While I was, you know, locked into this problem that I had 20 years ago, I, I, I had even, I had no clue that these other subtleties were waiting for me to address to be addressed. So I'm not saying there's something accomplished. It's I'm talking about this path little by little. And yet something does happen because when you look back, it's like, whew. it's actually, I mean, I'm not that much of a mess anymore. 
So it actually does, um, it does feel encouraging to me. On the one hand, it's encouraging. On the other hand, I also know, oh, this path is endless. There is no arriving at some, you know, point. It's, it really is a moment-by-moment practice. And to dedicate yourself, this is the point, to dedicate yourself fully to that moment-by-moment practice doesn't seem like, oh, I have a goal and I can accomplish it, but something happens nonetheless. So maybe, as it is said, maybe this requires a certain kind of faith, or maybe it just requires a certain kind of astuteness to notice the subtlety of your experience and not demand too much, like this difference between taking a shower and walking in the fog. Oh, I want the shower. (laughs) The fog isn't good enough for me. So again, it's actually like to consider the entire world in the ten directions to be the true human body, to consider, to view it it that way, and to resolve to practice. It's like here too, to view the path in this way, that's in this Soto way, and to resolve to practice like this. Because it's not like it is that way, it is when we view it that way and resolve to approach us that way, then this path it opens like this. So what is your practice? This is, by the way, this is what I would like to address in this practice course that's coming up uh, starting October 1st. I titled it Liberation from Suffering. But the feeling underneath it is not liberation from suffering once and for all. Like we enter nirvana and suffering is gone. Like as if we're entering into some other realm. But as I like to frame it now, maybe that will change in the future, but this is how I'm framing it now. The practice of nirvana as nirvanic moments. Meaning, when you sit zazen, what are you doing? Uchiyama Roshi calls the zazen practice the opening the hand of thought. You know, thought is like a grasping hand, and zazen is like an opening hand. Not even an open hand, an opening hand. When you find yourself grasping or resisting two sides of the same coin, when you find yourself grasping or resisting with your body or your mind, with thoughts, with the aversion against this painful sensation or the desire to have this uh, blissful sensation or something, when you find yourself grasping and resisting, your intention is to release it, 
When you find yourself opposing something that is actually happening, when you don't want this person to do what they're doing, you notice that friction. You notice that resistance. You notice that grasping for a world that is different than it is, and your practice is to release it. When are you going to do that release? Oh, well, just now. As you're noticing that friction in your life, that's when you do it. Okay? Just like that. So if you understand in Zazen, if you understand each thought as a way of grasping something, grasping a situation with this view, grasping a situation with this plan or with this desire, your resolve, your view and your resolve is to let that go, to release that. What will come from this moment-by-moment repetition of the practice of release, release, release? Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. I would like to invite you to the online practice course that I'll be teaching from October 1st through November 21st here at the Boulder Zen Center. If you live in or near Boulder, you can also attend this course online. In this course, we will be talking about liberation from suffering. That really is the core of the Buddhist teachings. And um, my passion in life is to explore our experience uh, again and again uh, in a fresh way, and then develop and experiment with and share practices that allow us to transform our experience in the direction of freedom wisdom and compassion. So I hope I will be able to convey these ancient teachings in a contemporary and also in a very practical way, a way that uh, applies in your daily lives. First, we will be looking at what suffering and stress really is in our actual experience. And then I want to reframe the foundational teaching that the Buddha gave on suffering, the Four Noble Truths, as what I call the Four Enactments, four ways in which we can uh, free ourselves from suffering on a moment-to-moment basis. I will devote extra time and attention to three critical practices that I call intimacy for, uh, with the field of mind, kindness, and presence. And then we can see how this set of practices applies to two areas that I think most people are particularly interested in when it comes to their daily experience of stress and suffering, emotional freedom and transformation of habits. And finally, I will take a look at the relationship between the Buddhist idea of liberation from suffering and uh, what is practiced in Western psychotherapy. I hope this piques your interest. I would love to uh, see you in the course. In addition to the lectures, there will be um, an opportunity to exchange uh, ideas and experiences with other practitioners uh, through a dialogue format and, if you want, to a practice buddy system. If you have questions about how the practice course is organized, please uh, email us at office at boulderzen.org. So maybe I will see you very soon. Take care.